Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 2nd of September 2019, episode 51. Well, harvest, as I said last week, is kind of done and dusted. There is still the odd combine about. So I've had a little bit of a, a niggle from somebody who said, you know, ask me when I finish and then you can say it's over. So apologies to that person. And obviously other parts of the country have got a bit more to do. As I speak, the forecast for Scotland is, is pretty grim. Um, for the next 48 hours so maybe some of that barley might get spoilt but they have had a phenomenal harvesting period leading up to now so there is a universally good crop as we go from the bottom to the top of the UK. We'll start this week with um, oilseed rape and we will say that November price X farm is 334. Underlyingly we don't see much downside to that market don't think it's going to rip away upwards either at the moment but it's happily in that place It's a good price, you have your bonuses to be added to it, so most people are kind of sitting on their hands and thinking about other stuff, so that certainly isn't at the forefront of anyone's mind for trading at this point. New crop oilseed rape has a few worries already. Flea beetle is very prominent out and about, and more importantly, possibly at this point, it's been very, very dry. Some of the rape's been in for a couple of weeks and it's just been baked, as we all know. There has been a ditty bit of rain coming through, but not really enough to kick it off. The ongoing forecast is also dry, so that's a, a concern, and it's a concern for future plantings of wheat crops and so on. So, yeah, I, I, it's looking at that forecast is possibly one thing to be able to discuss and maybe talk the price up uh, weapons or something. Uh, let's go on to the opposite end of the scale in terms of cheerfulness, which is um, feed barley. The spot demand immediate movement if you've got a rejected load of malting barley, which there's a few of those about for whatever skinning, pre-germ, splits, whatever they're getting rejected for. Uh, So much so that you can't actually easily get rid of a load of feed barley if it suddenly appears on your hands. So an ex-farm value for feed barley for the whole of September would be 110 ex-farm and Yeah, it doesn't look particularly healthy. We're still competitive uh, because of our weaker pound. We're still able to export, hopefully, some more cargoes, which should mean a little bit more money than I've just quoted you. But at this precise moment, there is an abundance of available feed barley coming from rejected malting barley loads. Moving on to feed wheat, I think. What should we do? Beans. Let's do beans first. All of a sudden, brooked beetle, lots of them about feed beans have fallen fallen down a bit so if you can get a bid for them i would roughly value them about 180 pounds a ton yeah everybody's got them nobody wants them it's the classic so i'm sure there'll be a boat or two sold and i'm sure that in fact the price will suddenly appear and everyone everyone will be buying them at the same moment but it's not fantastic at the moment and lots of them are failing the human consumption test so seriously cheerful uh, podcast this morning favorite subject wheat feed wheat is 120x farm for spot 
Uh, it's 124 X Farm for November. These are the lowest prices I've quoted you in the entire time I've been doing the podcast. So at this precise moment, we're at the bottom of the range uh, for that year. Is it the absolute bottom? Uh, well, our great friend Mr. Munt used to used to repeat avidly, the bottom of the market is for selling and the top of the market is for buying because the market is definitively at that place because of all of the contributing factors. And therefore, if all of those contributing factors exist, the probability of today being the absolute bottom is relatively low. There is only one bottom of the market. And if you're going to cherry pick this moment to say this is it, you're a very brave man. So on the basis of the, the theory of Mr. P. Munt, uh, you should still be selling wheat. So I can't make that any, any rosier. We are still in a position where we're exporting, obviously, um, but it isn't that easy to get bids for boats. There are a number of cargoes that are going out during August, September and October, so that should keep it fueled a bit as farmers get into their autumn work. But beyond then, I must admit, I, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit... It's, it's so bearish at the moment in front of my face that I kind of think there must be a reason for it to bounce. If it gets to it, it's so overwhelmingly negative, it always does the opposite thing. So I guess there must be some consumers who have held back who are going to be saying, this is cheaper than my budget, I'm going to buy some. So I think possibly we may see some, some pork creeping in shortly, but it doesn't look particularly healthy this morning. Uh, new crop logic dictates you should be selling new crop on the basis of the risk of Brexit and the possibility of not exporting. But I mean, I'm not, I can't trade around that. In my opinion, it's a very dry forecast, and therefore, if it kept being dry all the way through, then the any crops that we plant will be um, in trouble. So I think I'll, I'll kind of bat that one off for a minute or two. Yes, I could be completely wrong, but from a farmer's perspective, the prices are still above budget or above cost of production, I should say. Um, It isn't going to be £150 a tonne year at the moment. So, you know, look at your budget, look at the acres of wheat you're putting in and and all of your crops and uh, yeah, get a percentage of it covered, perhaps. With that cheerful and happy market report for this week, uh, have a great week's trading, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me Dan Cox, who's the General Manager of Commercial Services at the AF Group. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Andrew. How are you doing? (laughs) Good, thank you. And I have also got with me Ben. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Ben. Right, now, we know you as the grant man, so talk me through exactly, you know, this title, General Manager of Commercial Services, doesn't say the word grant in it. No, so. no. I started Anglia Farmers about five years ago, where I launched a new service where we helped our members understand and access grant funding. Okay, just what were you into before that? What was your... your so, role? I worked for five years previous to that. I was at Breckland Council, where I was Manager of Economic Development. Before that, school... Before that, no, not quite. No, I did 10 years in sort of global 
document solutions companies or selling photocopiers. That's <laughs> the was, easiest way being, to say that. I was being kind there. You could have gone, yeah. yeah. yeah Just yeah. after I finished playing professional football for Wolverhampton uh, Wanderers, I decided, yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's very <laughs> honest <wish>. of you. <laughs> so, grants. You know, Ben recently met up with you and said, oh, what, you know, what is there? What can we get? Yeah, so not a lot at the moment, if I'm honest. <laughs> Hence the fact that my role has changed quite a lot, Anglia Farmers, in the last little while. Five years ago, when when I first started, there was um, the new rural development program was going to be launched, and um, you know there were significant opportunities to to work with members to access a lot of money. I was about to say, and at, at that point, Dan, when you first arrived and grants, there was for want of a better term plenty of money about is mm. that fair to say yeah that's right yeah there was yeah for, for a range of different things and like I said the the dreaded word Brexit and the end of the EU funding has come almost now so so we're in a difficult transitional phase in terms of rural development funding where there's um, yeah there's limited money around okay so I mean when it was in the heyday of the grants and the rural development what how did you see the grants working and you know did you think the system was was working well? Absolutely, yeah. Grant funding, by its nature, is a bureaucratic process, and farmers and 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 applicants out there were, were finding it difficult to put applications together because of the bureaucratic nature of them. However, we worked quite closely with them to try and help them understand the process and and then help them apply for funding. And the the good thing, one of the good things about the funding landscape, if you like, that it was it was multifaceted. You could get grants for help with improving farm productivity and introducing new equipment and things like that right up to diversification of the farms in terms of direct diversifications in food production so you know rapeseed oil potato processing to diversifications into things like glamping and wedding venues and farm shops so it was very very broad yeah i mean well that's that's the point isn't it why why are grants so important well they do exactly that they reinvigorate the economy they encourage investment in in the industry and they might give um, businesses the the sort of leg up and the confidence to invest in something that they might not do without you know grant funding. We've had, as I said, grants for very specific pieces of equipment such as cattle handling and direct drills and and liquid digestate application systems, and um, right up to food processing and and things like that. It's helping businesses create jobs and, in, in, like I said, reinvigorate the the agriculture. That industry. has to be the key. The key motivator for government has to be the job creation. Out of yeah, thought. that's normally a, a prerequisite of, of most grant applications is that they want to see the creation of new jobs as a result of the money that they're putting mm. into into businesses. So, I mean, how much have you actually gained for members in? in a so in the last four or five years, we've, we've won just over £10 million for our members in, in terms of grant funding. And the importance of that really is that given that they're 40% grants, that equates to over £25 million worth of investment in the, in the industry. And that's just amongst our members. You know, there, there'll be other agents and you know, applicants themselves putting together their own grant applications. So that's vitally important for the industry, that investment, which in most cases wouldn't happen without the introduction of the grant funding. Rural England is left well alone and will be left to rot if if the government really were able to let that happen. I mean, at the moment, the cupboard has become bare, hasn't it, Mm. with with, uh, the grants, where do we go to next? Yeah. 
I mean, there will be new grants, won't there? Yeah, there usually is. There's normally, we, we have this transitional phase between European programmes before when, when we were still in Europe, and that's what we're faced with now. But the different difficulty is now that the uncertainty is, is, is that much greater, and we're not hearing much from the government in terms of, of their plans to replace these rural development grants. There's a lot of talk about the environmental schemes and the, the subsidy replacements, but the actual economic and rural development grants that that are there to invigorate investment in production and and storage and 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 equipment and technologies it's all very quiet at the moment oh that's that's interesting to you say that because one thing i would say if you had defra ministers here with you now Mm. and they were saying to you right dan we're looking at reinvigorating the rural development program and grants Mm. I'm interested to know, what would you say to them to say, well, okay, because obviously you were involved in the European system for a long time. You must have seen, I mean, okay, it wasn't perfect and you must have seen issues. Mm. So, you know, let's look at Brexit. Let's look at this, you know, new dawn. Mm -hmm. And um, if you could sit with them and say to them, okay, guys, you know, if you did this to the Rural Development Programme, it would be a lot better. Mm. What would that be? Well, actually, they... In the past, they, they have been very good in understanding the requirements of the industry in terms of um, what type of grants to, to introduce. They tend to introduce grants sometimes to solve solve issues. So in water security, there's there's obviously that's a, that's a big issue going forward. They've had grants for water management and reservoirs and irrigation and things like that. They've had grants for forestry clearing and, and, and management and also like I said earlier about our food production, we're behind in terms of producing our own food. So there was a grant for food processing and storage and that kind of thing. So, you know, they do listen to, to us and the industry, but there's there's no getting away from the fact that the process of, of achieving a grant has been very, very bureaucratic, and that has put people off from applying in the past. And those people have, have got just as good a project and just as good a chance as anybody of, of gaining the grant funding, but maybe not the expertise or not the, the resources to be able to apply for it themselves. You need to be careful you don't do yourself out of a job here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so okay, so less bureaucratic and a bit more streamlining. Yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Yeah, and, and also the windows to apply can be very short and, and sometimes they don't come at the best time of the year. They need to be a little bit more flexible about when and how you apply. Would, would you take it away from DEFRA? I, I wouldn't say so. I think it needs, it needs to be centralised. I mean, again... It's the the Rural Payments Agency, the part of DEFRA that, that administer the grants. It's they've had difficulties, and you could say that across not only the grants but across the, the other subsidies as well. But as with any government agency, they're they're limited. They have limited resources, and you know they find it difficult to manage some of these programs. But hence the fact that they delegated some of the um, management of these grant schemes to other local bodies like local enterprise partnerships or LEPs. Sorry, and LEP. So yeah, what <coughs> function does the LEP have there? So the LEP are a, a local economic uh, development body. There's 39 of them across across the country. We sit in one which covers Norfolk and Suffolk called New Anglia LEP and, and it has its own board, its own management team and they will write economic development strategies for the area. They will lobby government for funding for this area and it will be the same across the country, South East Midlands and Cornwall and Yorkshire. They will all have their own local enterprise partners work, work for, for the good of, of, of businesses. Anyone can approach this, the the lepers yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely they have uh, what they call a growth hub so if you're a business and you're, you're looking for assistance in financing or grants or, or advice or anything like that you can approach approach the, the lep okay so yeah they, they wouldn't necessarily have to come to you no they no, could no. go to i won't refer to them as the lepers but <laughs> anyway they could go to the lep but what you 
bring to the party is what you just more expertise yeah yeah i mean the, what the lep won't do is they won't actually write a grant application for you so in in many cases they will advise you to to go down a certain route or they might they might say to you you know you need to apply to the leader program for example um oh hang on what's the leader program oh the leader program was uh, was one of the rural development program grants that that is very locally focused okay um and again, there's, there's and again, that was EU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was an EU-funded grant managed by Norfolk County Council in our area. But the LEP would signpost a business to a, a grant, and they would have to go down the route of applying themselves or or work with an agent to to, to do so. Okay, and, and you touched on it earlier, and it's the dreaded B word. Brexit happened. Mm. And what happened to the grants that you had in the pipeline? Well, initially, there was a great deal of panic. So it was it was very unknown as to what was going to happen in the short term with EU funding when we originally voted out. And actually, there was a hold on all EU funding, so they, they stopped evaluating grant applications. And that was literally overnight? That was almost overnight, yeah, yeah, exactly right. that, yeah. The UK Treasury put a hold on, on it. They wouldn't allow any funds to, to go out the door until they'd sort of sat down and decided what they were going to do going forward. So So then... They agreed that grants would continue until the pots had dried up, basically. But, okay. you know, it, there was still a great deal of uncertainty about, about how that was going to work. And there still is. <laughs> and then the pots dried up, effectively. Mm-hmm. And since then, there just hasn't been grants available. No, there's, there's, a, there's a small grant that's open at the moment, but it, it closes on Tuesday, the 3rd of September. But apart from that, that, that's the only thing that's available at the moment. Yeah, I just I'm just uh, wandering my m- mind into I wonder if we can get some grant assistance for podcast development. We go to LEP and we go, right guys, we've got this podcast which is already there, but we need it to expand. Mm. I need forty k. Yeah, they they might want you to create four jobs. So that's <laughs> right. We, we could do with a mobile transmitting van. Yeah, absolutely. So we could drive around the countryside. You mentioned about job creation. Um, is there a ratio of like you're much more likely to get a grant if you say there's two jobs on the line? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Most of the grant schemes they carry some kind of ratio where you, for every ten to twenty five thousand pounds of a of grant funding, you need to create a job. It's not always as black and white as that. They they look for other benefits of a project as well. If a project is enabling a business to create a new product or reduce their their reliance on import and, and improve exporting, but mm. isn't necessarily creating jobs, that's still of huge benefit to the economy. But there's no getting away from the fact that if you're going to ask the government for a hundred thousand pounds, they want they want to see some growth in terms of job. Yeah. Job so numbers. so the, the perfect the, the golden ticket would be replacing imported product mm. and creating two jobs in the process. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How much do we get for that? Yeah. <laughs> I talk about skilled jobs as well. They have been looking for skilled jobs, but you know, in these rural areas, it's 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 all sorts of different jobs that they they've been looking for. So, part-time if, jobs. If you create a job in the countryside, there's a whole load of people who could take it exactly. and be really grateful not to drive a long distance yeah. to work. They, yeah. You know, it's the more people working out in the middle of nowhere, the better for this mm. country. Mm. It's it's not great no. having places derelict and and run down and not being used. Yeah, no, that's it. And of course, keeping people working in the rural areas means that the local shop is going to benefit from that. The local pub might benefit from that. You know, and on it goes. Yeah, there's so, so much that goes with that. I mean, the, the London-centric government, are, are in the end, have to put money out into the countryside. Otherwise, mm. they, they will eventually have another peasants' revolt. Won't Absolutely. They? So, if Grant is a way of fobbing them off so they can have another crossrail for themselves, then mm. um, so be it. Mm. 
<laughs> Very anti-London this morning, aren't we? <laughs> so is it time for us to try a beer, do you think? Yes, Sounds I think good. so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this looks interesting. OK, so Adnam Southwold Ease Up IPA. Now, I've actually had this before, and I've really enjoyed it. 4.6%. So, yeah, no, pretty strong. Well, this should be a nice one. Yeah, lovely. Can't wait. Yeah, what, a, what a skilled operator Andrew is with the bottle <laughs> opener. Did that with his teeth, everyone. <laughs> so what about, yeah. here we go then, grants for breweries. Ah, yeah, so there, has been, there has been grants for, for microbreweries, and you'll know of some locally that, that will have achieved grant funding. And again, it's, it's about... It's a I'm just p- watching Andrew <laughs> share the beer out, and it's massively unfair. <laughs> but I guess he does most of the talking, yeah, so he's yeah, quite yeah. thirsty. yeah. yeah. It's cold, it's, it's a hot day, and um, I couldn't reach that far. <laughs> That's my excuse. Mm. Yeah, so what you have to do now is you have to have a slurp. Okay. Take one for the team, Dan. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good. I like That's that. Nice. It's, it's, it's dry and hoppy, yeah. and I'm a fan of that one. Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute, Andrew's just finishing his pint. Hang on. <laughs> and, and he's done it. Well, we know the brewer, Fergus. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's lovely. It's a good, yeah, fresh yeah, pint, nice. good stuff. This time of the morning, it's a grain trader's thing, Dan. You oh, is it? Most of the trader cracking open a Craig about now on a Friday. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good beer. It was most it's enjoyable. Nice. We were involved with the microbrewery, weren't we? Humberdoucey last week provided the beer for the show, Aylesham Show. I don't know whether they're in your, your <coughs> collect or your region. Humberdoucey Brewery? Oh, no, I've not heard of them. No, they're down in, in Suffolk, so oh. would that be another person? But no, they've, they've mm. set up from now, and they've got you know some, some amazing beers getting out in all their local yeah, pubs, right. and we, we had a couple of barrels up at the show, which, despite the incredible heat, there were a lot less people turned up, because did, did you go to it? I didn't actually know. I was away, but, but no, I heard it was, it was, there was a lot of people there. It, it and, was too uh, hot. Yeah. It was, the people were fainting. Yeah. I got a little story about that. I got a little story. Yeah. There was a, someone came in and said, oh... Some old deer fainted up the top there. And I thought to myself, I don't feel that sharp at the moment. If I was to collapse, would they say, some old bloke collapsed down there? <laughs> I thought, I'm not going to fall over, because they no, might. No. That'd be t- yeah. I don't want to be that old bloke, do I? <laughs> There'd be a rush of women giving you mouth-to-mouth, though, Andrew. So. <laughs> Only because I've trained all my staff to do first aid. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wise. I, I can't do it, but I'm obviously the important one. Yeah. Which reminds me of another story. Years ago, I went on a course about you know improving your mind, because I was a bit stupid. And uh, this, this chap called Richard Bandler told a story about a, a fatal collision between a pedestrian and a car in New York and the headline in the paper the guy was eating a burrito when he got hit and um, the headline in the paper said burrito travels 150 yards in fatal collision and uh, he said the thing you really need to focus on as a human being is if you die don't let the headline be about the burrito (laughs) (laughs) Dan looking towards the future as we sit here now Brexit's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Fine. Your angle to the government would be: you've got to get these grants back on stream, mm. get the system liquid, yeah, get everything moving again because it's just taken too long. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, communicate the grants and publicise them properly so that the industry can understand them a lot better, and and so more pockets of of the industry have an opportunity to apply before it's too late. Um, mm. before they get too busy, before the harvest, before lambing, 
don't launch Grant a week before lambing or (laughs) during the harvest, which they have been known to do in the past. And keep the Um, windows open for longer. Absolutely. And shorten the period of time that it takes to evaluate a grant because... I mean, yeah, what's the average time? Well, it can be... We've we've had a grant awarded yesterday that we submitted last July. Oh, and was this for and a large amount of money? It, yes, £150,000. Okay. And, and they're umming and ahhing whether or not they can do the project anymore. Things change in businesses that quickly. Yeah, you see, that's not helpful, is no. it? No. But, you know, a year ago, they were chomping at the bit, and that would have made a big impact on the on the business. Now things have changed, and, and they might have gone down a different track. Because you can't actually start work on something without no. before the grant comes on. Exactly. We've had that in the past where, mm. and if there's a delay, it does kill it. Yeah. Is, is there any way you can... You know, give people a, uh, this is going to take six weeks or this is going to take a year. Well, the, the trouble is, is that they've they've said it's going to take six weeks or they've said it's going to take three months, mm. and it hasn't. It's taken six months or nine months, and it's one thing saying what the deadlines are, and, and we would apply on the basis that we know that the deadlines are set, and you know we know that we're going to get an answer in X time, and, and we apply on that basis. We're, we're prepared for that length of time. But if things are delayed as long as they have been, then that changes the goalposts, and, and that means that, uh, that companies are, are put, putting off investments for a grant when actually it might have been worth their while financing it in a different way to actually Absolutely. purchase or, yeah. or make there's the a, investment now. There's a moment when it's right, isn't it? You exactly. aren't allowed to name names, are you? Ever. No. no. Whoever the nameless, faceless bureaucrat is, they can hide forever behind their Exactly. Salary. That's the thing. And they don't leave their phone numbers on their emails either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might be a little bit controversial here, but my background's obviously economics. And there's a government agency called DFID, Department for International Development. Uh-huh. And I, there is a massive development bank. Uh-huh which has a huge amount of money. And it's funny that, and I know the government say they can't do it, but it's funny that they couldn't divert money from that bank into Mm. rural grants. Because I guarantee that DFID are still financing projects overseas, which isn't the wrong thing to do. Mm. But, you know, there's a link here that government could easily make. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, no one from government will be listening to this, but Mm. there's an idea for someone. I mean, no one from government. Boris listens to this. (laughs) And I thought Diffid was a place in Wales. <laughs> right, guys, do you know what? It's been a really interesting uh, conversation this morning. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we, you. we now know exactly which buttons to press when we apply for, for the Doing Grain Development Grant. Mm-hmm. So, so, Dan, thanks for coming in. Thank I, you I for having you, me. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. It's been great. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers Ben. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.